Welcome to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. We are twin brothers who are pastors in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We talk about faith, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, culture, and anything else we think is interesting. Thanks for joining. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Today we have another Bishop pre-nominee, the Reverend John Keener. Thanks for joining us today, Pastor John. Uh, before we were all, before we started recording, we kind of were reminiscing that this feels a little bit like the pandemic days when the three of us were doing joint worship services through Zoom. Isn't that right, Pastor John? Exactly. We were we were cobbling together to figure out what we could do, and uh, we were uh, holding on to each other, kind of, in those first days of the pandemic. So it was nice to have colleagues and friends to uh, to really uh, work together with. So. I, I know that I appreciated it, and it really did help me get through the first part of the pandemic. I mean, um, oh, absolutely, it was kind of scary there for a minute. Um, so, Pastor John, tell us where you're serving, and what conference you're in. Sure, uh, I'm in the conference of the San Francisco Peninsula, and serving right now at Unity Lutheran Church in South San Francisco, and we also have a, a site in Millbrae. And also uh, serving as bridge pastor right now in San Mateo at St. Andrews. So, so to kind of get to know you, Pastor John, um, rather than ask you about like, tell us about your childhood. We want to know what is one of your favorite childhood memories? And it could be either a memory inside the church or a memory outside of the church. I would have to say um, being part of the church early uh, in my youth uh, was the chance to really um, be part of the service. In many cases, I often didn't feel comfortable going to Sunday school, right, where uh, children would go off. Maybe I was a, a little more insecure, but it was a chance to really uh, stay in the service and see what was going on. Now, it wasn't that I didn't go to Sunday school, but at times I kind of didn't want to go as we all do in many of our <laughs> cases. And uh, But it was interesting to see what happened there and to just observe and even take naps every once in a while, right? On the pew uh, as, a, as a youngster. And uh, But it was intriguing to see what was going on uh, and just to absorb it, I think, as part, mm -hmm. of, part of the liturgy. Uh, not knowing everything at a young age, but just to to see what it was about. That's cool. Uh, my kids have often taken naps in the pews as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think that says something because you wanted to be part of the the life of the congregation. and and I think that's important for folks to know, like putting your kids in church, like it has a good effect, you know, like not just sending them to Sunday school. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, let's be, let's be honest here. Uh, uh, we got adults who fall asleep in the pews too. Uh, right? <laughs> especially during my sermon. So uh, <laughs> hey, uh, so a lot of people don't know what pastors do in their like off time. Um, do you have any like hobbies or, or interests that you think people uh, should know about you? Um, well, you know, what's interesting. I do like to tinker a lot around the house, but also 
at the churches. And so it's something where, but I think we all do that, right? It's uh, we have a, a Bible in one hand and a plunger in the other, right? <laughs> for, for everything that goes around at the church. Um, it's something that uh, my father actually instilled in me just to teach me a lot, even though I, I, I uh, probably didn't enjoy it as much at the time, but it was a wealth of knowledge uh, and something that I hold on to that uh, comes in handy, right? We don't learn all those things in seminary. And uh, it's a chance to really uh, uh, help not only the church uh, in the ways we think of pastors, but also to help when 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 things need to, to get done. Do you have any home projects right now that you're working on at home? Oh, uh, various things, uh, probably just more like landscaping right now. And then, uh, and then also we, uh, have a sewer line in the back of our house that needs to be dug up, but, you know, in preparation for plumbing. So, but I haven't started that one yet. That's going to be uh, a little after the summer starts. <laughs> that's hard work. That kind it of is. digging. Yeah. That's, that's like hard work. Um, yeah, I, I will always, I'll remember visiting, your church and and an idea that I absolutely stole from you was in your hallway you had kind of like wanted posters but they were like activities that needed to be done in the church like fixing up activities right and, and I saw that and I was like that's brilliant you just kind of take a picture of what needs to be done tell people what needs to be done and they can come in and and yeah. do that thing yeah. um that's well, such a great idea and we call that an op that they are opportunities. <laughs> opportunities. Yeah. Well, um, do you do you have any spiritual practices that you find yourself coming back to over and over again? Well, it's interesting. Um my prayer life, I haven't, I often have many conversations with God, uh, in my car and on walks. And, uh, I think many people do. Uh, and so that is something that, uh, you know, also when we spend our time commuting, right, it's kind of a time to really, uh, uh, have reflection and, uh, it's sometimes good to turn the radio off and, uh, and just think about, uh, what we want to share with God, but also what God might be sharing to us as we kind of uh, drive down the road, so to speak, uh, literally and figuratively. So um, that's important for me. From uh, from a Bible standpoint, I always like to go back to the Psalms. Um, and oftentimes we'll just open it up. Uh, I often uh, uh, say many cases, I mean, there are so many, all of our emotions are encapsulated into those Psalms. Uh, and it's back and forth and the diversity of all our emotions that we have, which, uh, you know, even uh, praise God or ask for God's help, but also bluntly says, God, where are you in mm. any of the cases? Or why have you forsaken me or, or the anger and the frustration of our lives? And so sometimes it's good to just pick it up and open it up uh, and see if the emotion that you read is the emotion you have, but also it can turn us around, right? So sometimes when we're feeling... Uh, down or feeling frustrated, um, seeing the other side of emotions, uh, you know, one of joy or gratitude can help us reset. We all need that at times. I, I need resets quite often, uh, as my spouse would say. And, uh, and I think it's important. That's really great. I think reading the Psalms is a great spiritual discipline. Uh, 
I think it's really important too. I mean, it's the, they say it's the prayer book of the church, right? The original prayer book, right? And so the fact that you lean on that, I think is beautiful. I think that's a really great spiritual practice to hold on to. And it's one that most people can do, right? Like they can sit down and read a Psalm and go, okay, like, uh, and, and use that as a discipline. Right. Uh, do you have a favorite Psalm? No, I think that, I mean, they, they, they rep, they, there's repetition. I, I oftentimes with, uh, with even, uh, youth or for, for, uh, confirmation when we do have those classes, uh, which is few and fewer and far farther between, you know, sometimes it's even good to look at the first verse of the first 10 Psalms and, and mm. look at the emotions and it's, it's almost everything, uh, there, whether it's happiness, frustration. And I think what's important too, is like, you know, people are upset with God in the Psalms yeah. and that gives permission for people to know. Cause you know, many of us have been raised and, you know, where it's like, you know, um, don't be upset, you know, have strong faith. And the reality is, uh, our relationships with God are both, um, mixed with doubt and faith, right? and hmm. peaks and valleys. That's uh, really good. You know, there's a, in our ministries, we have many successes and failures. And uh, Jeremy and I really feel like it's important to hold on to our successes and especially when things are not going so well in ministry. And so can you name for us a time, uh, a, a success in ministry for you that you hold on to and that, and that you maybe come back to when times are not great? Yeah. Um, it's interesting, you know, because we, Unity became, uh, you know, a, a conglomeration of three churches, right? Our Redeemers in South City, uh, Calvary and Milbray and Peace in San Bruno. And um, it was a journey where one would think it's like, oh, the pastor makes this happen. And it isn't. It's really uh, an evolutionary uh, process that allows uh, everyone in the community to be part of that journey. And the journey doesn't happen overnight. Um, it took, you know, we, our real thought was to go through the liturgical seasons, you know, go through a full year at least. And it really took year, year two years um, to get to a point where people felt, yeah, this is right. We, we, we should come together. And, you know, I think uh, the important thing in everything we do um, which I think helps when we think about the daunting things that we have to do in our ministries is that having uh, not pauses, but also exit strategies, you know, the ability to say, you know what, you know, you know, for us, like with the, with the churches, it was don't sell any properties, right? Because having properties, especially when they're free and clear uh, is, is a blessing. And yes, there's a lot of upkeep. Um, but, you know, I think making decisions in many cases are hard for people to come together when, uh, you have to cross over a threshold, right. Mm -hmm. Of IE selling a property or things of that nature. And I think taking steps where, you know, we, um, pause and, or allow people to know that they're not backed into a corner. That's really critical. We're even doing it right now with our liturgies, right? And changing liturgy uh, with, you know, two churches that are, were on both serving to try to make it easier for the pastor, right? Uh, and uh, what what is tradition and trying different things, but also being able to pause back and say, you know what, 
let's let's not do that right now. Let's let's give it some more time, um, and and spending that time in dialogue. So I think that's really key. You know, I have to share one other. The other uh, that has been such a blessing uh, was being able to be a chaplain at Stanford for ten years. And then once the pandemic occurred, we, you know, we kind of had to reset. And I'm no longer doing that right now. But it it was an opportunity to uh, really journey with people in their most difficult times. And in being such a large uh, hospital, you know, every shift overnight would have, you know, really critical things to accompany people on. Um, and it always, and I think I maybe mentioned it to you in passing as colleagues. I mean, it's just, you know, when we, when we start getting frustrated with the lights that aren't working at church or something uh, that seems so important at our church, um, you know, with regard to, you know, operations or finances um it really kind of brings humility and in a sense of you know we need to be there for each other and, and a good reminder so. i think those are really two great examples of successes i mean bringing three congregations together is no small task and the fact that you were able to allow for process and and even the potential to pull away and being very intentional about that is something that I think is really uh, is a success and and maybe even necessary for the coming future of the church, right? And so the fact that you were able to negotiate that with the congregation and allow that to to them to negotiate that amongst themselves, I uh, I think is a really great a great thing to hold on to. And and being a chaplain is just uh, it's it's no small wonder we all have to do some sort of chaplaincy in our in our pastoral training, right? Because because we really those are the times in which we touch uh, really the brokenness of our world and the beauty of our world too, you know. Because there's there's both of those moments. Um, so thanks for saying that. And we uh, do it so often in our lives, you as well as colleagues, right? And we we are doing chaplaincy when we least expect it in our lives, right? When we're at Safeway or uh, mm -hmm. running into somebody and having a conversation when our when we were wearing a collar that uh, evokes a moment for people to uh, explore. Yeah. So. Yeah. Ab uh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so we we know there are uh, three expressions of our church, right? There's the 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 I have to I have to look at this every time because I always forget. There's the churchwide, right? <laughs> then there's the synod, and then the local congregation. Um, in your understanding, what's the primary function of the synod, and um, what do you think the the function of the synod should be? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, the synod is there. Um, to be supportive, uh, as well as um, to provide, I think, structure, right? Um, and as we've we've joked, uh, I've said it before with my councils and, and everybody else, it's, you know, we all need checks and balances, right? It's uh, making sure uh, that we're aware of ourselves, but also aware of others. And what is the awareness others have of us? Um, and so I, I see that it can be a positive thing that they're the different expressions of uh, allowing a synod uh, to be there to bring churches together. 
but the reality is, is it is so hard to do that, right? It's uh, when your synod is so large, 200 plus congregations, how do you do that effectively? It is a challenge. I mean, look at how much challenge we have as a church, right? As a congregation, I don't know about you, but there's challenges. Um, it's just uh, exponential when you look at a synodical level and let alone uh, a national level. And so, um, you know, it's about relationships. How do we build that more? How do we do that more intentionally? Um, and, and that is a hope um, that uh, perhaps um, there can be a, a focus to get us into a point, you know, in, in the, in the write-up I, I put out, you know, for the, for the, for the bios is, you know, why have a synod, right? And mm -hmm. if people can't, if they don't understand, you know, how do you answer that question? That's part of the dialogue of why have it if it's, is it needed, right? And, um, you know, what I think we want to do is, you know, any, any, um, any process uh, or system is, can become bureaucratic, right? Or it's just structure upon structure. And the question is, uh, I think the journey for whoever the bishop is, is maybe to ask that question, why do we have a synod? And, and, and what would it take to say to someone, I need my synod? right? Mm. Like to the point where um, we might feel, what is it when we say we need our church? And so, and, and then you go up to the next layer, right? I need my, uh, my churchwide, I need my national church. And for me, uh, national church is important because it's, it's making sure that uh, we have candidates that are um, um, part of the word and sacrament that are, you know, um, taking care of one another, taking care of all of us. And, and so that's part of this process. Um, the problem with bureaucracy is it's always a gatekeeper function, right? It becomes, starts to feel like gatekeeper. And if we build in our relationships and what I've often mentioned in every decision we make, you know, whether it's yes or no, I like it, I don't like it. The question is, the follow-up question is always why? What, what is the why behind it? Um, so even if we're dealing with hard conversations and conflict or what one's perspective is, it's to ask the why behind it, because then we understand one another better, um, rather than just looking at it as a yes, no, or I like it, I don't like it, you're in or you're out, uh, you, you, you pick pick the binary. Um, we do need to spend a lot more time, whether it's not even church, synod, and church-wide, but in our personal lives, right? and our mm. social uh, relationships, personal, professional, whatever our vocation is. Do you think, um, you, you kind of said two things uh, that I find interesting. You said like the synod is is supposed to have checks and balances, but then you, you said gatekeeper as well. And I, and I wonder if framing it as checks and balances instead of gatekeeping might be, might be a, a good way of framing it, which I think you did, you, you framed that really well. Can you name some kind of checks and balances that the synod does that that or or needs to do uh, better? Yeah, I think um, you know there's one aspect of the deans, right? The council of the deans, and that's a new process, right? It's a question of it's a pilot. You know, will it continue in the future? It's it's about getting feedback from everybody, right? It's getting feedback from the deans. Is this working? 
getting feedback from the congregations in the in the conferences. Is this working for you? Uh, how could it be better? Uh, and also, um, it's creating that so that um, whether it's Synod Council, it could be a resource for uh, not just getting updates, but uh, raising concerns. Uh, and it's hard because Synod Council is, is you know, there's so many things to work on. How do you intentionally create space for more feedback? Um, and what I say, too, is, um, you know, we've been through a lot of challenges and uh, creating more checks and balances where it's different groups uh, providing leadership uh, and uh, positive feedback, but also growing edges, right? Um, and and areas to maybe focus on. Um, that allows uh, everyone, I think, to sleep better at night. So yeah. for example, us as pastors in churches, right? We are, we are accountable to the councils, right? And... Um, Often I, I would uh, joke uh, early in, in, in the call process and say, you know, that for the council, um, you know, I'm accountable to the council and all the council members will all, always be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. And I would also say, and you're also accountable to me as a sibling in Christ. And so it's, it's once again, making sure that, uh, you know, we might not always be aware of our situations and what what the impact is of our actions. And so um, having that more uh, structure of feedback loops, you know, I think for us as a synod, it's reaching out to a lot of our, our mission partners where it's, you know, ADLA, African Descent, Lutheran Association, um, the Association for Latin A Ministries, the deans, and that's part of my write-up, uh, ELM, RIC, um, really um, partnering with them very closely to say, um, what is the state of the Senate, right? And how things are going and do that on a regular basis, perhaps even mm. quarterly, right? So that uh, these groups are not just coming to provide reports and updates, but give feedback and give the reality of what is going on in our Senate and the mm. territory. Good. Thanks. There's a, a kind of need for um, people in the Senate. We're talking about like, we need to have a strategic plan. You know, we need a plan. And, and I don't, I'm not, I'm, I don't really know that I'm going to ask you what a, the plan is uh, that you're, that you have, but how would you go about making a strategic plan? What would the, what would that process look like for you? Mm -hmm. I think it's it's one of collaboration, and it's easy to say, yeah, collaborate, that's good, <laughs> but it has to be structured, right? Um, it's putting out certain components um, to talk about, right? So like if you look at, I mean, my prior career was finance, right? <laughs> A lot of numbers, you know, in, and we've always said in our congregations that, you know, your budget is your ministry, right? Where you spend your dollars is the reality of where your mission is. And uh, we want to make sure that we're calibrating that and recalibrating and checking in. And I think we're ready as a as a synod to really talk about that in our budget. So, I mean, the two camps are right, mission and staffing, right? And both are needed. But the question is, how can we articulate around that um, 
you know, whether it's our new starts, um, you know, new ministries, what we spend there, like roughly, I think it's about 200,000, you know, per year. Um, what happens if that number was half a million, you know, and, mm. and if we directed it in a way that's intentional to provide updates. So people really understand, like everyone in our, in an, in our synod, it'd be interesting if we could um, be able to share, you know, these are our mission opportunities. And I don't know about you, I have a hard time, you know, remembering all those, um, but how do we provide that information and show what the strategy is oftentimes related to our budget, right? I mean, the yeah. other thing is we we rely on, a, as a synod, for the most part, um, stewardship, right? So giving mission support. Um, the question is, can it be explored, you know, as we are exploring in our congregations, right, that we're looking for alternative income sources? Um, it's not just to raise money to raise money, right? Um, it right. has to dovetail into our mission. And our mission is to support the community. Well, there's a lot of ways to do that. You're both doing that, you know, Jeremy, with food pantries and partnering mm -hmm. with other churches. Um, it's a question of, uh, you know, preschools continue to be a, a major need uh, throughout California, but definitely we see it here in, in the Bay Area. Um, how do we partner and do that, but also not do it siloed, right? Build a knowledge base um, that we can have individuals that can help facilitate that throughout our synod. So. Mm, mm. You mentioned that you you're a finance person, and and in your paperwork, you you said that one of your priorities would be transparent financial stewardship and budgets and and then you you said you know our priorities go where the money goes right and so let's make it clear and accessible how would you provide the transparency that you're talking about as bishop mm -hmm. yeah i think it's uh well it's back to the corporate days of powerpoints death by powerpoints but uh uh but just really transparency of that information right? Uh, you know, how big is our balance sheet? How much do we have in reserves? Um, making it more accessible uh, so that uh, people are aware and also go to that narrative, right? And provide updates. Um, we, we should be, um, or one opportunity is really to say, you know, we are focused on 10 ministry opportunities outside of our regular congregations. Um, so I think that's important to uh, lift that up or also and validate through the synod you know where do we want our strategy to go and so it's providing that uh background uh getting that feedback as to uh where we want to go as a synod how is what you're proposing um different from what's happening right now um Back to the checks and balances, I think it's validating and revalidating, you know, it's okay. so sharing and saying, well, this has been our vision, um, but articulate it very specifically, you know, so if our vision is, okay, we want, I'm just throwing out stuff and don't want people to freak out or say, this is what that vision is. Let's just say intuitively, uh, you know, we want half of our budget to be um, staffing and support and have to be mission driven. 
right? Starting new churches, starting new opportunities, and not just churches. Um, what we've talked about too is um, whatever properties we hold free and clear, that's an asset. Um, and it might not be an asset for, as I mentioned on the previous uh, gathering, it might not be a church with 200 people and a, and a confirmation group of 30, but there's social good to be done in that community. And it can mm -hmm. be done by the Sierra Pacific Synod. Um, and I think that's what I think generationally, um, you know, we're seeing that shift. And there's a yearning for meaning from people, uh, but also a yearning uh, to have uh, deep meaning. And it's it's maybe not starting in a church on a Sunday morning, uh, but building a relationship in a different capacity, uh, mm. whether it be social good um, or different things to help the community and so um that might get to a point where is the synod doing more doing more operational work possibly we're doing it as congregations right mm -hmm. what we do as congregations versus 30 years ago right is very different you know whether it's our income streams or the mission that we are focused on um why wouldn't that shift uh, at a synodical level, right? And so how do we um, see what maybe seems like potentially a burden, right? So anytime we have, I mean, what's the best way to say this? We have a, we have a second site, Milbrae, right? And at times it's not as active and it can be stressful, right? To have a church that's not active uh, and it, it feels like it's, um, um, dilapidating, right? Or the, the amount of uh, things that need to do to be fixed. But once they are fixed, it can be a new asset. And, uh, you know, how do we see um, see something that maybe seems as a liability as an asset? If that makes sense. Yeah. So how do you see transparency kind of being uh, kind of involved in all of the things you just talked about? Uh, how, how does that how does that transparency play out uh, for you? I think it could even just be quarterly updates, right? Synodical updates. Um, uh, you know, we get a lot of important updates today, right? About mm -hmm. uh, different opportunities, different programs, but um, there could be a, an update from the office of the bishop and the synodical, uh, synodical synod council, right? On a quarterly basis of here's where we're focused. Granted, there's a lot of things that are proprietary or confidential, but how do we lift out more that is is shareable, right? Of ministry and different things. Um, Surely our budgets are not confidential. Like our, we're, you know, it seems to me that our budgets are, uh, are public knowledge. We go to Senate assembly every year and we learn all about our budgets, right? Uh, no. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. So what you're proposing doing quarterly seems really in line you know, we're just learning more about the budget before Senate assemblies, right? Yeah. And also, what did we focus on? You know, you get a report of different offices at the end of the assembly. Why not do it throughout the year? Because then people are aware. Uh, and it's it's to journey along with, right? We have a property in Hanover. We have a property here. Uh, what's going on with it? Uh, mm. Let's take a tour of it. Do you all have ideas of what this could be? Uh, right. You know, and it's... Um, 
what's interesting is when we share more information, it can cultivate, I think, more ideas. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe uh, Hanover is a, a podcast center <laughs> <laughs> or a school for how to educate uh, clergy in new medias. Um, you know, I'm just throwing out ideas. Right, right. Sure. The possibility. Or housing in the Bay Area, right? Housing yeah. is such a big deal right now for all of us. Yes. Oh. And also it's um, how do we partner and how do we be part of the equation still? Because oftentimes I think historically what it has been is, well, that's not the church's forte, right? To manage mm-hmm. properties. Not in every case. We have very good examples um, in in our conference even that um, uh, are in that that part of uh, community involvement, um, but to um, how do we build our our skill sets uh, to do more? It doesn't have to be the pastor. It can be you know it's the whole body of Christ and parishioners and those who have gifts uh, you know for uh, corporate real estate you name it. And then let mm-hmm. us not reinvent the wheel uh, for the churches and the other conference down the down the down the the state, so to speak, or across the border to Nevada. It's uh, how do we, uh, how do we intentionally link people up, but also intentionally move to the next steps of how do we help? No, I think, I think part of that is, is I I appreciate you saying that. And, and I think that leads me to the next question is uh, in some way, most of the candidates, I think all of the candidates said that we needed uh to bring more connection to both the synod office and and between local congregations, mm-hmm. um, how do you think you as bishop would implement that, like specifically? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's it's um, addressing two things. One is uh, you can get individuals together, but where is their fears, right, or insecurities? Right. Mm. And I think clergy, uh, making sure clergy um, positions are at the forefront, you know, so if we say, oh, let's bring churches together. The first thing I think it's human nature, right? Will clergy have a job in this new idea, right? Um, It's how do we create environments that um, lift up and celebrate when groups come together right um you've done that with local churches josh in redwood city and san mateo and jeremy you've done that in walnut creek um mm-hmm. you know it's lifting those up and i think it's also oftentimes spending time what would i say naming the unnameable right it's saying you might think okay why are you doing that? Because you're jeopardizing your job or you're jeopardizing that church closing and being absolved by another church, right? But explaining that and raising that question and and explaining why that isn't the case, I think helps to uh, bring down the insecurities we all have, right? And the challenges we have in our lives. Um, It might sound like it's, oh, you're trying to raise too many issues, but I think it's in everyone's back of their mind, right? So how do we, how do we talk about what people might be concerned about uh, is critical. Yeah, yeah. So that's mm-hmm. part of that collaboration model. And then it's also saying certain things like, you know, I mean, we have an affinity for our properties, right? It's a tangible asset that we can remember and 
know where we were married or where we raised our children. Um, you know, knowing that, I mean, that was a big thing for bringing churches together before. It's like, once people know, it's okay, we value these properties. They might be used in a different way, but people can hold on to that. Mm -hmm. And that's part of our mission. Um, and, uh, okay, I'll say it here. I'm not a fan of holy closures. I'm confessing right now. Say I, more I, about that. Yeah, I, I think it. there's holy transitions, holy transitions, maybe. Um, you know, and I think the journey process, um, you know, in anything we deal with, maybe it's back to chaplaincy days, right? We we are faced with so many challenges in our lives, right? In our health and you know, whether it's our body or our church or, you know, our, our professions, um, uh, we journey through process, right? And it's important to give enough time to whatever the challenge is. I mean, all our churches struggle, right? Uh, all three of us, we've taught, you know, over the last five mm -hmm. years, there's been peaks and valleys, right? We're going, right. Through, we're going through a valley right now, but we're about to get to a, to a new peak in, in some of it. And the reality is, in many cases, a lot of churches need, I think, cushion or buffer time, right? It's not buffer time to do the same thing for 10 years, but it's no different than, for example, in the hospital, right? In ICU. Sometimes we need support, right? And uh, and then, you know, there's a time to recover. And so it's how do we as a synod provide more of that buffer or that ability to support one another um, is, I think, critical. But I think because we are so individualized or, or siloed, how do we create a strategy that allows for that? And it deals with money too, I think, you know, is there, is there a pool and is there structures? Is there ways? I mean, it's no different than mission investment fund, right? That's what that is for. I mean, that's a good example. Can we do work like that as a synod uh, to help one another and journey with one another? And I think mm -hmm. if we journey with one another and, and care, whatever that topic is, you know, it's a progression, right? Of realization, no different than progression and realization of all of our, our vocations in life, right? That we take time uh, and we move towards maybe a new decision, but, you know, how do you allow for greater time to do that? If mm. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And the, well, hard um, decisions, and the hard decisions in our lives. And that also goes with, you know, can go into accreditations and all these different things. It's like, where do we have more process and maybe it's even more process than what is in our constitution it can't compete with our constitution right but we can be creative and create additional whether it's uh, process or groups uh, for once again those checks and balances that we talk about as long as they don't you know contradict our constitution but help supplement it uh, it can be a continuing resolution, right? Or it's it's a, it's our policy uh, of how we 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 do things together in our synod. Hmm. As bishop, you're going to have to do stuff together with people, right? Like, and and so because um, it's kind of changing lanes a little bit. But uh, uh, as bishop, um, what gifts 
would you surround yourself with people on synod staff to complement your own gifts? Need a, need a big strength because I, I don't have as, as many. I think uh, it's uh, joking aside. Um, but I think it's, you know, having people who are, are not the same background as me, right? Uh, of uh, my experience, but also uh, my ethnicity. Uh, it's really critical to uh, be able to uh, ask questions I think it's important for staff that there to be space to say what is not being spoken about. What is what, what water cooler talk do we want to talk about together if possible, right? Because that's important. Um, it should be open. Um, there's uh, the bishop role needs to be humble. It's you know it's no different than us as pastors, right? We need to be cautious with what we do and say um and be reverent to um the support that we're providing um you know every bishop and if i were the bishop i'm going to make mistakes uh and it's the question of what do you do after you make that mistake what do you do after you have a a, a difference of opinion with a staff member or a council person or a person a congregational president um it's always what happens the next day or when you have to follow up with that person, that's that's where we really uh, build the relationships, uh, and that mm -hmm. has to be that. And there has to be accessibility. It, it goes back to probably the corporate days. It's it was called three hundred and sixty feedback, right? You get feedback, you get get feedback from your those you report to, those you work with, and also those who support you know the infrastructure and or our staff that you're responsible for, and and people should be able to share. If not, it, it's gonna be shared anyways, right? So you have to have conversation around it to make make the improvements that everyone are looking for. Hmm. Hmm. You can't be scared of feedback, that's for sure. That's good. Uh, do you, um, it seems like a lot of the times bishops get called into congregations because They've reached a point of conflict that um, is pretty significant, uh, you know, whether it be between pastors and the council or the congregation or amongst the council, you know, whatever iteration of conflict can come out of a, a congregation. Um, what do you think your style of conflict resolution is and, and how would you go about handling, how do you go about handling conflict in, in congregations? Right. Um, I tend to go towards right towards it. So it's, uh, huh. we joke with Enneagram six. I think Josh, we've talked, you're a six too. I'm a six. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, you, you're, we're the loyal skeptics, right? We know the process, but we know it always can be improved. And, uh, within that, it's a function of making sure we're connecting with people, right? In most cases, people just want to be heard, right? But things, when things get to a bishop level, uh, it's escalated, right? The emotions are running high. Um, I think we've all, and actually all of you have, have participated in, in being dean, and mm -hmm. and the deans do a lot of that in many cases. And um, and I think it's uh, in being a current dean with the other deans, you know, there, there's a lot to be 
supporting the staff that are there, right? Because the bishop staff, it's, you know, there are so many people, you need a, a team to be able to address and, and connect with people in their in their points of conflict. Um, so it's really about accompanying and, and uh, slowing down and going into those conversations. It's not gonna happen overnight, right? you start start that relationship uh, and and try to work through it together um, and allow both voices to be heard and, and all the all the basics that that are important. Thanks. Yeah, yeah so um, you know, uh, uh, we started this project, I don't know, like three or four weeks ago, and when we put it out to everybody to to all the, so you've had time to think about coming on here yeah. and and as you were thinking and kind of preparing yourself to come on this podcast was there any question that you hoped we'd ask you No, we're good friends already. <laughs> right, right. All right, all right. Then how about this? Um, yeah. um, uh, this is this is your time. Yeah. This is your time. What do you, what what do you want us and our listeners to know about you and how it relates to being bishop? This is just a time for you to just tell us what you know. Right. Well, as I as I said uh, during the initial Q and A one, my corporate days were be bold, be brief, and be gone. Right, that was the saying. It's like be be uh, um, uh, forthright. Uh, uh, don't go on at nauseum, and uh, be gone is that humility, right? Um, I think you know uh, two gifts. I think you know. As and we've had maybe conversations many years ago. It's it's one of those things where, um, what are people looking for in a bishop? And for me, if you know the gifts, I think I can bring is an administrative bishop and and a and a chaplain bishop mm. and, and awareness. I'm not a big spokesperson that'll be on the news, but it might be called upon to do that. But um, I think the gifts I have, uh, if it is important for the the count or for the for the synod, and for those, uh, if it's for this time and place, is is to be an administrative bishop, and, and a chaplain bishop, and accompanying bishop. Oh, thank you so much for that. Um, uh, okay, so that's kind of the long form questions we we got out of the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have ten quick rapid fire questions for you, and then we'll we'll end with that. Okay, hold on. Uh, okay, so Pastor John, what? <laughs> All right, I'm ready. <laughs> what food could you eat every day? Barbecued chips. Nice. Uh, what's your favorite movie genre? Science fiction, Star Wars, of course. Yeah. Salty, sweet, or savory? Well, salty, of course. <laughs> uh, in addition to the Bible, because every pastor would say Bible. What book would you want with you on a deserted island? A uh, home improvement book. <laughs> <laughs> we could say a church improvement book. Uh, uh, what fills your cup? 
coffee. <laughs> what depletes your cup? Coffee. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite holy place? Hospitals. Hmm. Even just walking into a clinic or a hospital. Wow, that's great. Um, what's one good piece of advice that you have been given? My uh, father always said, it's a little antiquated, but kill them with kindness, right? And you think, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Uh, but I think it's, you know, whatever the challenge is in our life, um, how we approach it, how we're sensitive to each other uh, is really critical. Um, so, and whatever we're dealing with or frustration, uh, being able to have some some pause uh, and see the betterness of every situation, I think is critical. I think that's I think that's great. We could all use more kindness, right? Sure. Um, okay, what does rest look like for you? It's bad. It's it, this is not good self care. <laughs> rest seems like uh, tinkering and working. So unfortunately, that's, it's uh, that's good. I, I like that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm being honest. Uh, no, it's good. Uh, what What do you hope God will say to you? on that last day when you enter the pearly gates? Welcome. Everybody, this has been the Reverend John Keener. Pastor John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. Appreciate it. This is the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Have a good day.